Well, good morning, everyone. We want to welcome all of you here today, as well as those who are listening at our other places, our other campus at Midlothian and online with us. I shared this in the first hour, and I want to share it again, uh, just because I'm so proud of our teams here. Um, Many of you may not know this, but just shortly before it was time to start worship and life groups this morning, we had no electricity in this building. And uh, so I want to be a big shout out to Mike Connor and all of his media team and to Stephen Matthews and all of our facility services team that got us back up and running and, and functioning so quickly because I'm going to let you know, yeah, give them a big hand. They deserve it. They did a great job this morning. You know, it's a little more than just plugging a lamp into the socket uh, to get everything going around here and to have to do it on such short notice and work so quickly. It was amazing. Well, this morning, I want us to think about this question. What you thinking? That's a question that's asked a lot in my household. And it comes when somebody is deep in thought and the other person wants to know what's going on. Now, to be honest, I'm usually the one who asks it. Because I'm trying to decide, as Sue is there deep in contemplation and thought, If it's something I did that she's thinking about, or she's thinking of some things I'm going to have to do, I just want to get that clear. So I ask you, what are you thinking? And I already know the answer for some of you. Some of you this morning are thinking, huh, I didn't know Randy wasn't going to be here today. (laughs) And some of you are thinking, is he going to stay in our first John series or is he going to preach a Father's Day message? And some of you are thinking, today's Father's Day? (laughs) But the good news is, most stores are still open so you can get something on the way home. Well, I'll deal with your thoughts this morning. One, I'm sorry you didn't know Randy wasn't going to be here. Two, it is Father's Day. (laughs) And three, I'm not going to preach from 1 John, nor am I going to preach a Father's Day message. I want us to zone in on the issue of what we think. Kind of plays off, piggybacks off a little bit of Randy's message last week, but I'd already planned this, and that's just God at work there. I want to ask you this. Have you ever stopped to think how much you think? Well, if you haven't, others have. In fact, in 2005, the National Science Foundation released the results of a study they had done in which they discovered this interesting fact. For the average person, you think between 12,000 and 60,000 thoughts, separate identifiable thoughts per day. It's a big number, isn't it? 12,000 to 60,000 per day. But Even that big statistic isn't what got me. It was the next thing that they released from the study, and that was this. 80% of our thoughts are negative. And 95% of our thoughts are reoccurring thoughts that come day after day after day. Back in 1944, a man by the name of Johnny Mercer wrote a song entitled Accentuate the Positive. And among the other things it says in the song is it says accentuate the positive, eliminate 
the negative. So I want us to think about that for a moment. Eliminate the negative. You know, if you take those statistics that the National Science Foundation released, and you just figure kind of an average day. You know, not one of those days when you're really cranking out the thoughts and you're up in that 60,000 range, and, and not a day when you're trying to chill and not think at all, and you're more down in the 12,000 range. But when you're right in the middle, right there at 36,000 thoughts a day, just an average day. And you figure in all of your thoughts, 80% of those 36,000 thoughts are negative. That means you're having 1,200 negative thoughts an hour, and obviously 20 negative thoughts a minute. A negative thought every three seconds. What do we do with that? What do we do with the fact that we're constantly being bombarded by negative thoughts? Well, listen to me carefully. Here's the first thing I want you to understand. You do not have to practice the gift of hospitality with your negative thoughts. Now, what I mean by that is this. When someone comes to visit you, somebody that you're excited about, somebody you're excited, they showed up on your doorstep unexpected, You show them the gift of hospitality. What does that involve? It involves inviting them in. You usually take their coat so they know that you're wanting them to stay for a while. In fact, you then take them to the best seat in the house, even if it means that dad's got to give up his seat for a while. And then you offer them something to drink and a snack, and you just want them to know that you'd like for them to settle down and stay. Well, folks, you're going to have all of these negative thoughts coming at you all day long. But you don't have to invite them in to stay. You don't have to ask them to come in and settle down. In fact, in James, he says, don't give place to the devil. Don't give a place to all of those negative thoughts. I like the way Max Lucado puts it. He says, You are in the control tower of your mental airstrip. In other words, you're the one controlling the landings that take place. You're the one who controls what thoughts get to settle into your life. I've been on many an airplane where we would come into our final destination and we're over top of the airport all ready to land, and and the pilot will come on the intercom and tell us, well, we're ready to land, but they're kind of stacked up here today, and so the control tower has said, we can't land right now. We're going to have to circle a while. And I've even been on flights in which we're getting ready to come into our final destination, and the pilot comes on the plane, and he says, the control tower has just informed me that we're being diverted. We cannot land here. Folks, when it comes to thoughts, you are the control tower. And so you can tell those thoughts not to land here. You do not have to allow those negative things to settle into your lives. But I have to be honest with you. Just deciding you're not going to think negative thoughts is tough to do. Because it's tough to not think about something on purpose. 
And to prove that, I want us to do a little experiment. I want you this morning to just as best you can, and know you're still going to have at least 12,000 thoughts a day flying through there, as best you can, clear out your mind. Now, for some of you, that's a little easier, but just clear your mind. Try not to be thinking about anything. And now, here's what I want you to do. Don't think about Dale Wilbur. You've seen Dale up here, you know, leading the choir, leading us in congregational worship, singing. Don't think about him. And don't think about something else. Just don't think about Dale. It gets tough, doesn't it? Because no matter how you try simply to not think, that image still makes its way in there. The only way you cannot think about something is to substitute something else in its place. Last week in Randy's sermon, he called our attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you remember that verse, it's up on our screen. But it says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive to obey Christ. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. So how do we eliminate the negative? Well, we do it, as the song says, by accentuating the positive, or we do it, as Scripture says, the same thought, taking captive everything to obey Christ. Turn in your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 8. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. And he writes, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So here Paul gives to us a list of six things. They are six filters or six tests, if you will, that we need to take our thought process through. And we need to understand that these six things are presented here in a series, in sequence. In other words, they don't stand individually. They're not standalone things. When you think about them, it's almost like thinking about a box. Think about a little square box, and that works well because it's six-sided, and we've got six filters here. But you, know, you take that thought, and you look at, it, look at it in terms of truth. But that's not enough. Then you've got to kind of turn it and look at that thought from a different angle, and is it honorable? And you've got to look at it from another angle and, and see if it's just and if it's pure. So you, you keep turning it and looking at it from every facet. It's kind of like if you were to take something and you're sifting it, screening it out. And so you start and you're screening it, sifting it, and 
What is true comes through and everything else gets caught up and you toss that away. And now you're just left with those things that are true. But then you take it through another sifter. And this time it takes out everything that's not honorable. And now you've got stuff that is both true and honorable. And you keep on working it down through finer and finer sifters until you get down to your final product that you want. And that's what we see here. We see the sum at the beginning. It says, whatever's true. Whatever's honorable, whatever's just. See, that's multiple things. That's a plural word. And so out of all of these things, you begin to shift, sift all of these different things down through to try to get to the final product. And the final product is any. So you've gone from this plural whatever down to that singular any. And look at what it says at the end of that verse. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise. In other words, you've brought it all the way down. You've examined it. You've sifted it. And you've got it down to this. And it's met all of these requirements here, all six of these things. He says, and you've got now a thought that is excellent. And you've got a thought that's worthy of praise. You see, with all of those, whether you're saying 12,000 or 40,000 or 60,000 thoughts that are going through your mind every day, there's really only a few of them that you're able to remember and hang on to. And the scary part of that is if there's 80% of our thoughts are negative, we have a tendency to grab onto the negative, don't we? But if we use this process that the word of God gives us, then we come down to the end and we come up with something that is excellent, it says. And that is literally means something that enables you to live the best life you can possibly live. And then something that is worthy of praise. Something that gives you the best reputation you can possibly have. Let's look more closely at the list. How about it? So he gives us here six tests through which to filter our thoughts. And the first test is the reliance test. Whatsoever is true. Is this thought true? You know, we live in an era over the last few months where we've heard, heard people talk quite a bit about real news and fake news. Was well, it a real thought? Is it true or is it fake? Is it a lie? Satan is the father of lies and he's constantly trying to get you to grab a hold of a lie. So you need to ask yourself, is this true? You know, we live in a, an age in which people don't ask that question often enough. What the question they usually ask is, will it work for right now? Will it help me in the moment? And I don't care about anything else. But God's word says, ask, is it true? And then he takes you to the second test, which is the respect test. Whatever is honorable. Honorable. You know, there's a lot of things that you can think of that aren't necessarily bad. They're not vile. They're not evil. But they're silly. They're meaningless. 
They have no real purpose. Now, that, that doesn't mean you can't laugh at a joke and be silly sometimes. But the key is you don't dwell on it. You don't let it take a place and settle in there. When he asked the question, or asked us, he said, is this thought honorable? What he's asking is, is it uplifting? Is this a thought that lifts you up? Is this a thought that lifts up those around you? He says, if it's not, let it go. Don't let it land. And then he says, use the rightness test. Whatever is just. That word there is literally a word that means straight and not crooked. You ever gotten caught up in crooked thought? We all have. He says, focus on that that is straight. Focus on that that is just. Focus on that that is right for everybody involved. See, we, again, live in a day, an age, and a culture where it's all about me. And as long as it's good for me, that's okay. But he said, the rightness test says, is it just and okay for everybody? And then the reverence test. Whatever is pure, he says. Again, that, that's a very specific word that's used there. And it was originally a word that was used for the animal sacrifices, the offerings made to God in, in, of the sacrificial animals. And so it would ask the question, is this animal pure? Is this animal suitable to be an offering to God? And so when it comes to our thoughts, what Paul is saying to us is this, is that thought you're having something that you would lift up and offer to God? Is that thought you're having something that is worthy of worshiping God. I don't know about you, but that, that, that's a tough part there for me. To ask if every thought that, that I cling on to, all those thoughts that I let dwell, all those thoughts that I let land, are they thoughts that are worthy of being offered up to God? And then we have the relationship test. He says, whatever is lovely. And that word lovely there doesn't mean pretty or beautiful. It means anything that would cause you to love. It's that which would attract you, not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. And it's a very unique word. In fact, this is the only place in Scripture that that word is used. But it has to do with, does that thought show love for others? Is that thought something that would be attractive to others as they look at you in your life? And then he finishes with the refinement test. He says, whatever is commendable. That word commendable there actually means High tone. He says, is it a high tone thought? Yeah. Is it a refined thought? Is it something that is 
uh, thought that would give a good report? Is it something that would give a good reputation in what you do? So he goes through all of these filters, all of these tests. And again, remember, these are a series. So it's not, you don't get to take your thought and say, well, it's true, so I'm good to go with it. No, if you're doing what God tells you to do, you've got to also see, is it also honorable? Because some things are true, but not necessarily honorable. Some things are true, but not necessarily just. So you've got to work it down through the whole process to get to the anything at the bottom, the anything that brings excellence, the anything that brings praise. He says, so you take your thought process through all of that, but then what? Is there more to it? Well, yes, there is. Look at verse 9. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Practice the things. First, he tells us in verse 8, think like this. Think these things. Work through your thought process and come out with these things that are those that you need to dwell on. He said, and then put them into practice. It's not enough just to think about it. You've got to do something with it. It's not enough just to be hearers of the word. You've got to be doers also. And so he says, put it into practice in your everyday life. He says, and when you do that, something amazing is going to happen. An experience that you don't want to miss. And what is it? Look at the end of verse 9. The God of peace will be with you. You get to experience the presence and the peace and the power of God in a special way. Because what you're doing as you go through this list, as you're looking for things that are true and honorable and all these things, what you're doing is you're looking at Jesus. Why don't you look up on the screen at at Psalm 19. And I want you, as we read through this, to see the parallels between Psalm 19, which is talking about the Word of God, the law of God, and Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, which is talking about what our thoughts are to be like. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The command of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Do you see how closely those two passages parallel each other? See what... Paul is telling us in Philippians is really this. He says, we are to seek to live our lives in tune and in alignment with the word of God. But not only that, think about those virtues that are there as we go through our thought process. True and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable. Who do those attributes describe so perfectly? The Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so he says, try to live our lives in alignment with the word of God, the written word, in alignment with the word of God, the living word, the son of God, our savior, Jesus Christ. So he says, the process of thinking and practicing all of this is is done for a purpose. And we find that purpose in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to bring that up on the screen, and I want you to look at it. And this is written to the church and about the church, but it's also written to individuals and about our lives. He says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles and the prophets and pastors and teachers, the evangelists, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. That's us, folks. He says, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. He says, all of this is taking place. All of this work that God is doing in and through his leaders and in and through his church is designed for the express purpose that you and I would become mature in the Lord measuring up to the full standard of Christ. God's desire in your life and in my life, in our thought process and in our actions, is that we would be like Christ. So all of this process here in Philippians 4.8 is designed to Move us to being more like Christ. Moving us to be more mature in our faith. Our whole thought process is part of what God does to bring us to maturity. To bring us to where we're supposed to be. In fullness. Of the standard of Christ. So I ask you one last time what you're thinking. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, I stand before you this morning and I acknowledge that the thoughts that I allow sometimes to stay, Lord, are not always true and honorable and just and pure and loving and commendable. There are times, Lord, when I am negative. There are times when my thoughts criticize rather than lift up. There are times when my thoughts hurt people rather than love on people. And Father, I ask your forgiveness for that. And Father, I don't believe I'm the only one that struggles with that from time to time. But Father, I also acknowledge that I can't think the right things or practice the right things in and of myself. Father, it's only through you and your spirit and your power. So Father, I surrender myself anew and afresh to you this morning. That, Father, I might think more like you and live more like you and be more like you. 
And I pray that for others, Lord, within the sound of my voice this morning. Lord, help us to be unified, maturing, and growing into the stature of Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen.